we'd very much like to thank tonight's sponsors, Casper Mattresses, The Great Courses Plus, and Blue Apron. If you can't remember the offers when the show is over, visit astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Please remember, supporting our sponsors supports us and allows Forrest to get cable. No, I don't want cable anymore. <laughs> that, cable's over, isn't it? I mean, we're, yeah, no, I, everyone's getting rid of their cable. I guess you missed the bus. Look, if you wait long enough, the bus goes, and then, you know what? There's a better vehicle, which, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there well, is yeah, now, now yes. there's autonomous buses. Okay, you know what? And, and uh, it was their great customer service, I'm sure, which kept them around. Yeah, right. So okay. A quick announcement before we get started. Some family business is taking me back to the East Coast for two weeks. So we're going to be dark after tonight's show until the 4th of July when we'll return with a new episode. Well, this one's going to be good, I think. It's my prediction. Maybe the biggest show ever. I don't want to, you know, not wow. taking any... It's a great premise. I think people will really enjoy it, especially if you're interested in kind of a possessive spirit sort of a feeling. It's yeah, I think it'll be a good. good show. Right. Yeah. Anyway, let's get down to business. <laughs> Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. Mrs. Johnson noted an immediate numbing at her fingertips. She rubbed her hand against her leg in an attempt to remove the dirt, and that portion of her leg also became numb. Ted Phillips, in his Case Histories report of the Flying Saucer Review, February 1972. Join us tonight for the final part of our series on the Delphus Ring. All right, so first things first, let's recap what we talked about in uh, part one with the actual incident of the Delphus Ring. Yes, just give us a brief overview. November 2nd, 1971, we've got 16-year-old Ronnie Johnson. He's doing chores out by the barn, or it's a small barn on his family's farm property. Right, they have sheep. They have sheep and hogs as well, and he's out there with his dog, Snowball. He hears this, like, mechanical, vibrating, rumbling sound that he compares to an old washing machine being off balance. And he looks around, and he sees a hovering object about 75 feet away from him that completely defies explanation. It's got multicolored lights emanating from it, and some sort of material seems to be drifting down to the ground underneath it. It's about 8 feet in diameter and 10 feet tall. Mushroom-shaped. Yes, think mushroom. Yes. Yeah, like okay. a mushroom cap. Yeah, that kind of rounded dome shape. And a base. Exactly. Okay. And by the way, Snowball, who has been the object of our derision. No, he stopped. <laughs> Why? You know, he's a dog. Look, I always look to the animals. What are the animals doing? Yeah. And, you know, he's not going to, like, would he run out there and bite the tires? No. He was frozen up. Yeah, though. he's observing. Like, he wasn't even barking. He could have barked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't scare the aliens, whatever they are. But anyway, sure. well, okay. that's the thing. Ronnie was scared. Snowball was scared. Eventually, the object got brighter and brighter. It ascends from where it's hovering in a south-southeastern direction where it just cleared a shed by the sheep corral by about four feet. And it was so bright at that point that Ronnie was blinded temporarily, but he could still hear it flying. And I guess the sound went from like a vibrating, rumbling sound to more of a, like he, he said, at one point he said like a jet engine or, yeah. or tires whining on a freeway. I think the, the key word here is that whine, that high-pitched mechanical whine. Right. Going from like a thump, 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 thump. That's how he described it. And it's gearing up. It's taking off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So eventually his, his sight returns. He runs to the house to get his parents and they both come outside and look up in the sky, and they both witnessed this light ascending into the heavens. And it was a clear night, and also was a full moon. And the moon was clearly visible, yes. low in the southeastern sky. For those of you that will say he just saw the moon. Right, exactly. That's now, what we're pointing we're, out. We're pointing out, again, 
uh, from last time is that they can now see both objects. Yes. Okay. In addition to the family itself, there were two credible witnesses who reported sighting something unusual at times that would have possibly coincided with the landing and the departure of the craft. And so for, and for more on that, listen to part one again, where we talk about that more in depth. Most importantly, from a trace evidence standpoint, it left behind a strange ring on the ground, which we talked about in part one, and we're going to go into more detail on here in a bit. The Johnson family have been and still are respected in Delphus, and although Ronnie's dad is gone now, Ronnie is still working a farm there, and his mom is still alive as well. Before we drill down on the ring, I thought it might be fun (laughs) and also a good idea to talk about a couple of similar, high-profile similar cases. Right, and specifically what we're talking about here, as you heard, and maybe you've seen in the show notes, a close encounter of the second kind, where physical trace evidence seems to have been left. Yes, and there's two incidents in particular that some people will have heard of before. One of them is the Lonnie Zamora incident, and the other one is the Cash Landrum incident, which is more recent. Let's talk about Zamora first. This Mm -hmm. is kind of a famous story. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive it was on Unsolved Mysteries at some point. Mm. I feel like I remember the grainy film reenactment. (laughs) Oh. And um, And I feel like I also saw Zamora actually interviewed, which may have been on Unsolved Mysteries as well. It's right up there with the Delphus Ring in terms of of fame. And it's an encounter worthy of its own episode, ultimately. So we're just going to touch on it here for now because Mm -hmm. it could easily go into an hour on its own. But the first thing to know about it is that Lonnie was a policeman in Socorro, New Mexico. And this incident, by the way, happened about seven years before the Delphus incident. Yes. He was only 30 years old at the time. So he was out on patrol and a speeder flew by him for whatever reason and he wound up chasing the speeder. So when he's going after the speeder and he hears a really loud noise outside of the car, like an explosion sound. Right. And the sound is coming from an area where he knows there's a dynamite shack. Yeah, well, you will. It's like two and two. Acme. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So he decides that he needs to check it out because it seems like something's wrong. So he breaks off with the speeder and he's heading towards where he knows the shack is. And as he's getting there, He can sort of see something happening, but he's going up and down over the hills and he's not sure what's happening because it's disappearing. But then he Mm. gets really, really close and he comes upon a scene where he thinks a maybe a mid-sized car has crashed or something. There's some shiny metal object. And then when he gets out of the car and he realizes it's a spaceship and Ah. it's sitting there and it has a symbol on its side. And he sees what at first he thinks might be kids because they're kind of small. Yeah. Two people in white jumpsuits. <laughs> jumpsuits or kind of overalls? Are we talking like striped socks? Or Loompas. Loompas. Yes. Green wigs, maybe? Okay. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was. Um, These are the things, Scott, that people look for. Yeah. Credible authority witness. So always like pilots, military people. Police officers, yeah, doctors, you know, upstanding citizens of our uh, society here. Yeah, this is yeah. a young police officer, and young to us, 30. Yes, at the time. Older to you guys. At the time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, okay. to a lot of our right. listeners. But, and he also said that when the two figures saw him, one of them sort of jumped like it was startled at <laughs> the fact that it had been observed. Well, hey, they lit off the dynamite. Whatever. <laughs> they, they, made the, they made the noise. Whatever yeah. was happening. So right. anyway, the thing takes off. It goes up into the sky. Zamora has been radioing in what he's seeing. And just literally, just when it gets out of sight, another cop shows up. 
So he's got no other witnesses. This is the biggest problem with this story. Okay. There were two other witnesses, though, you know, because Hynek showed up, of course, a few a few days later. <laughs> days, okay, yes, yeah. he wasn't like in his car. Yeah, right. no, that would be awesome. Okay, he just materialized. <laughs> just yeah. yeah, he showed up a few days later, and he spoke to two other witnesses that had both said that they saw something shiny and some smoke in about the same area. Okay, so this was four days later, I think. Yes. And at that mm-hmm. time, he was still working for the Air Force. Right. So remember. Project Sign, Project Blue Book. He was on all of those. That's right. Yeah. And he also remember he had a changing attitude over the years. Yes. He was not happy ultimately with how the Air Force was dealing with that stuff. So well, at this look, point, yeah. he's still possibly dealing with that emotionally. Mm-hmm. He starts off kind of in one frame of mind, ends up in another, but he can kind of see where the agendas are. Yeah, exactly. With regard to the trace evidence... A radiological chemist reported that there was a patch of melted and solidified sand right under the landing area, which was collected. It had some some materials in it that she could not identify, although she said it was mostly sap. But there was another component of it that she couldn't figure it out. The Air Force came eventually and took all her work and all her notes and all her research and on top of that told her never to talk about it. And the findings to this day have never been released. No, pretty common. Yes. Yeah. Where does all that stuff end up? Right, Patterson, Nellis? I don't know. I, but, yeah. I mean, so it's trace evidence, but it's eventually it's taken away. Now, according to the FBI, Zamora was known by many for years and described as, quote, a well-regarded, sober, industrious, and conscientious officer and not given to fantasy. So even though he'd only been 30 when he saw it, just it, it unfortunately, it had a bad effect on him. Oh, there was probably a little bit of ridicule. He yeah. wound up retiring just two years later. Oh, that's too bad. Like I said before, he was the only witness. So Hey, the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, it's my favorite. Yeah, you, do you, do you want to report? report in this? And then it's just no. sil- a lot of silence. <laughs> Negative. We don't want to report anything. You land and you're grounded. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're seeing <laughs> you're Little Green Man. You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's why there's a lot of reports. Imagine all the reports you have not heard. Yeah. Because of the stigma. Yeah. So there you go. It's a valid point. And Heineck actually said, quote, there is much more evidence to indicate that we are dealing with a most real phenomenon of undetermined origin, end uh, quote. So an unknown you know. compelling force. You know what I love about this particular craft? And I've seen pictures of the symbol. It's like a little kind of almost Kilroy type thing with oh, an arrow yeah. underneath it. Yeah. It looks very human, actually. No, but you know what? I, I always love cryptic. the cases. But there's several major cases. One, I believe 1801, 1803, the Japanese maiden. Well, she wasn't Japanese, but this, she uh, a craft appeared. Yeah. Hatsuro Bune. Oh, I, yes, yes. Yes, I'm now, sorry. I might now, be, that's familiar to me. Yeah. Yes. No, I might be I, At uh, first, I was like, oh, this is another thing is, I know nothing about. <laughs> that I'm just completely making up. Yeah. However... You know, it's modern times. There's modern recording methods. This was 1801. 1803. Okay, so I was right. Reading from Wikipedia and copying to that because this was an improv, spontaneous moment. Oh, there you go. It's Suro or Urobune. Yes. It's Suro Fune refers to an unknown object which allegedly washed ashore in 1803 in Hitachi province on the eastern coast of Japan. Yes, with a young maiden aboard who is bearing a, a box. Yeah. Look up at our Twitter account because we have a little bit of a, an exchange with OddX, the website. Yes, we so, follow that guy on Twitter. He posts yeah. a lot of amazing stuff almost daily. Yes. One of the elements of that case is that there were symbols uh, that people saw, and I believe took a, a bit of a note on it, sketched it down. Yeah, because there was an engrave. There's lots of engravings, or yeah. a couple of engravings, I should say. Right. Because once you see it, you'll recognize it. If you follow our show and you're into this kind of stuff, yeah. even if you don't recognize the name that Forrest just threw out, when you see this picture, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. It's it's a George Sukla special. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. What I love is spans of time and connections, and that I believe there is a symbolic 
talking about symbology here and the symbols on the side of a craft, there's a connection to Rendlesham Forest, which is another big one. Well, yes, there is. And well, we're going to be one. talking about that in a little bit. Very yeah. good. Yes. No, anyway, so just so you know, I love it, though, when there are connecting elements of an eyewitness account that people have noted. So, yes. Yeah. There you go. And also the fact that the symbols in general, this is one thing I want to say about symbols before we move on from this, yeah. but there's a very humanoid aspect to them. It, it conveys language. Yes. It conveys probably sight. Yes. That you can see and read a language and that you can use symbols and that you think very similarly to people. Hey, symbols stand for bigger ideas. That's the sign of intelligence. Yeah, but intelligent if an alien life. comes down, I don't expect it to. I mean, if it's a blob, what's it going to do with a symbol? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot that's communicated by that. There's, yes. of course, there's a lot that's communicated by Oompa Loompas and white jumpsuits. <laughs> well, or uh, you know. humor and uh, and a good song, a good rousing uh, ditty. Yeah. Well, you know, another one that had great symbols on it. It was the <laughs> carrot, the C A R E T, the center oh, for yeah. advanced. Oh yeah, that's a proven hoax, isn't it? I don't know if it's proven. I do know that Dell used it in some print ads for the alien wear. Laptops it was such pushing. high resolution. But yes, like, but but Scott, I, I will say this. I don't care how bad the deal is, that the, the story, but there are elements of it that I can appreciate for themselves. And I say, if it's a hoax, probably. But it was well done. So there's a few great ideas in this, in this hoax. And one was that, yes, there's symbology that was tied into some mysterious photographs, I think in the San Francisco uh, area, of some mysterious hovering things, uh, craft yes. with uh, yeah, spindles on yeah, them. Yeah, with power lines in front power of lines in front of them and uh, and there's symbology on the side of it and of course in the carrot report there's photographs of of these strange devices anti-gravity devices that have uh strange symbology on them but the idea i was getting at behind the the explanation in this fake or not fake giant scientific report very detailed the operating mechanism behind these symbols is that not only are they visual but they are actual and the way it was explained, which I love this oh, idea. Yes, I remember okay, this and, now. And I, again, it's a great sci-fi idea as a story. Yeah. Imagine like you have uh, just a piece of paper, but you have a magic ballpoint pen. And instead of folding this piece of paper by hand into a paper airplane and throwing it across the room with your arm, you write on there, fold yourself into an airplane, fly across the room with this pen. That's the idea. And then it does of the, that. The yes, object does that. Exactly. Whatever that, you write on it, it's in, it's an instruction. It's like active code. Isn't that clever? Yeah, it's, it's, it's I love it's that. So anyway, the symbols themselves are the code. So they're visual. They're actual operating systems. Right. And I love it. Yeah. Shadow people. Old hag syndrome. Sleep paralysis, and one I personally suffer from, exploding head syndrome. All the kinds of things that we love to talk about at Astonishing Legends. And also the kind of things, like our show, that can make getting a good night's sleep a bit difficult. Which is why we want to mention one of our sponsors tonight, Casper Mattresses. Oh my goodness. You know what? Uh, I got to tell you, Scott, I love mine. The old mattress was compressed down to a wafer-thin layer, <laughs> and I was praying for a mattress sponsor, seriously, <laughs> that like, oh, God, please give us a trial advertisement here, because yeah. I could really use a decent quality mattress. Well, guess what? Casper mattresses came through. I love mine, seriously. Casper obsessively engineered these mattresses in-house, and they are a combo of springy latex and supportive memory foams that work so well together Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. They've since gone on to become the most awarded mattress of the decade, and they're made right here in America. And Scott, I will tell you, I'm not kidding right now. It is the perfect combination of soft give and support. It really is. 
So there you go. They ship directly to your house in a compact box that you can't believe has a mattress in it. <laughs> yeah. Even my California King came right through the front door with ease. A marvel of engineering. Just the delivery of the mattress and the unpacking is not only fun, it couldn't be easier to receive and set up. And here's something you don't get often. You can try a Casper mattress for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything, and they even have free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash AL and using promo code AL. Terms and conditions apply. The webpage they set up for our listeners makes it very easy, so visit casper.com slash AL today. All right, so the second big trace evidence story I wanted to touch on was one known as the Cash Landrum incident. Mm. This info was taken from the NICAP report on it. We talked about NICAP in the first episode. That is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. These guys are very serious about their investigations. And yes, well, well, like MUFON, they take it with a scientific approach. Exactly. Documentation, they're very credible. This story has a lot of color, so I, kinda, I really enjoy this one. It reminds me, I, I don't know, of Down Home. I know you make Aww. fun of me, Mr. Pacific Northwest. You make no, fun I, of my I, southern I, roots. No, no, that's your own insecurities. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, you just did very, it right there. Yeah, it was backhanded. No, look, we're from rural suburban <laughs> settings. I deserve it. Yes, but, but he is a hillbilly. Uh, okay. Thank you. All right. um, so this story is more recent. Uh, this happened just after Christmas in 1980. Ah, Two ladies and a seven-year-old boy were driving around looking for a bingo game. A bingo game. A bingo game, yes. The boy was not driving and probably didn't care about the bingo either. (laughs) It's fun, sure. My great-grandmother used to play bingo. And she's also named Betty. That's my regular grandmother. Oh, yes. Great-grandmother's name was Elsie, and she liked to play bingo before they changed the laws in North Carolina. <laughs> she was playing in these places where you could win thousands and oh, thousands of dollars. Oh, there you go. That's a draw. Yeah. So, well, who are these folks? This is Betty Cash? Yeah, Betty Cash, Vicki Landrum, and her grandson, Colby, who was seven at the time. And the, the Colby part of this makes me sad since I okay. have a seven-year-old because oh. the story is kind of scary. Well, it's frightening, sure. Yeah. Vicki Landrum worked for Betty. Betty owned a restaurant and some other business that mm-hmm. Vicky worked at both of them. And so they're driving on this rural road, Highway FM 1485, 30 miles northeast of Houston. And I had to look this up when we came across this. I was very curious about what FM stood for. It turns out it stands for Farm to Market. Oh, yeah. Which right. tells you how long it's been around. This is how the farmers used to get their goods. To... More of a back road, yeah. but, but well used. We actually have a link to the route that they took, which is so cool, someone made a Google map route with locations along the way where you can see like where they saw this UFO and where oh, they had to stop. Wow. It's pretty cool. So yeah. when I looked it up, I was very pleased to see that. And you can see the link in the show notes. Very cool. Now, this thing was settling down. It was floating in front of them. It was a large ball of fire. And then it had, or excuse me, it was a, it was a triangle shape. And then it had fire that came out from under it periodically. Ah. And what would happen is almost like a hot air balloon where it would sink down like 25 feet and then flame would shoot out of the bottom and it would go back up a little oh, bit. okay. Another very analog experience. Um, <laughs> no, well, it's like a rocket engine on the bottom. Yes, but I will say in the realm of UFO stories, and this is also what I find interesting, is that you have variations not only of shape, size, color, everything imaginable, yeah. some with fire, some with silent propulsion, some noisy. You, yeah, you, it's you crazy. You come across everything, really. Yeah, who knows what stage of technology, you know what I'm saying? How many different beings are visiting us? Right. To paint the broader picture here is what I'm saying is that it doesn't necessarily mean aliens. It could be military technology. True. In different stages. Them experimenting. I know that uh, Dr. Friedman. Yes. 
said that they were working uh, when he was involved with this technology, that they were working on nuclear propulsion. That's true. He did say that. But you know what I also happen to know? Yeah. He also, with regard to this case, yes. specifically said that this was an anomalous craft oh. for that program, which he personally worked on. Yeah. He said he, there were no craft of that nature right. in Texas at this time, and this is not how they would have operated. Yes. I'm right. paraphrasing. I know for a fact that's his statement on the Cash Landrum I do, incident. Yes, I do remember that, yes. Anyway, so the thing is coming down. They, they are getting really paranoid. In fact, I can't remember if it was Vicky or Betty was a particularly religious person, and yeah. she was telling Colby, the seven-year-old, that it was the second coming. Oh, jeez, well. Yeah, and she was like, it's <laughs> as okay. Far as, as far as she knows, yeah, it could be, yeah. <laughs> she's like, Jesus is going to come out of this thing or something. You know what? I'm, okay, this one was covered on... Uh, UFO hunters, I believe. I'm sure it was. I think there was a, a police officer in New Mexico. There was other details that I... I that was Lonnie. You, the car shut off Yes, the, the car did shut off. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, I forgot. The that. aerial antenna on the car was bent. There's other trace evidence that he testified to. Yeah. Uh, this case, there will be some other let's say, residual side effects. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about, actually. Right. That's why it's a trace of it. It's a close encounter of the second kind. Yeah. So it's in front of them. It actually comes down so low, it completely blocks the road. They stop the car. It's 200 feet in front of them. They described it as having a dull aluminum finish, which does make me think, when you first hear military. that, you think military. Yeah. But right. then also it was glowing, which makes me think, not military. <laughs> well, it's, it's very hot. But yes. they said it was lighting up everything like the woods around the side of the road, like it was daylight. And this was at 9 p.m. They do remember the coverage or the the uh, segment episode. For, I believe it was diamond shaped. Yes, it, it was. And point yes. things. Yeah. So imagine diamond shaped, the points uh, straight up and the, and the one down, of course, fire coming down yeah. at the bottom of it. Out of its booty. Uh, yeah. So, and <laughs> yes. Son would say. But the point is that, you know, they're ducking in. He's kind of peeking up, but all family members are kind of, imagine yeah. uh, this thing's on fire. So they're kind of trying to take cover, but also they're intensely curious. Well, the other thing that happened was it was, it was putting out a ton of heat and they were, they actually had gotten out of the car at this point. And a ton of helicopters showed up, some of which the witnesses identified after talking them out as the Chinook CH-47, which you all know what that is, like the yeah. flying banana. It has the uh, twin rotor. Twin rotors that spin in opposite directions. Cargo and personnel. Huge, yeah. Now, I will say, again, I remember this because Colby, the kid who is yeah. now an adult, was interviewed. And he said, hey, I was a aeronautical airplane and helicopter fanatic at yeah, that age. My son could identify a Chinook because yeah. they fly over our house no, it's, it's here very in, in uh, LA. Absolutely. It's very distinctive. So, yeah. uh, well, I, I think I could as well. I was I was really into uh, yeah. military craft. Still yeah. I am. No, it's a very identifiable one. Now, the factoid here that, that uh, it's not a factoid, it's a fact according to What's Colby. the difference between a fact and a factoid? I believe it's it's the, the cuteness of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like... You know, it takes it takes oh, 100 a hundred monkeys to, uh, to to screw in a light bulb, that right, kind of thing, right. uh, if they're left alone with it. What I found amazing, though, is he was firm in this fact, because it's one of those things you hear, it's like, what, wait, what? Yeah. 23? Yeah, 23. He, now, they weren't all Chinooks, but there, no. there were 23 helicopters, and some of them are what I like to call little birds, because it makes me sound like I was in the oh, military. Yeah. I only call them little birds, because that's what they called them in Black Hawk Down, which I read and saw <laughs> yeah, there the movie. You go. Yeah. But you, you know what the little bird looks like. It's very like quick, maneuverable, small bubble and, front on it. Yeah, very yeah. similar to the, Magn if you're old enough to remember the Magnum P.I. helicopter. Oh, that's right. But they're fast attack helicopters. <laughs> they can't carry a ton of weapons, but they move very, they're very agile. No, they're very maneuverable. And they said yeah. that these helicopters were encircling this craft, which which to me says, all right, it doesn't seem like they're on the same team if you're trying to surround it while it's 
freaking out on the road doing right. whatever it's doing. Okay. Uh, eventually, it kind of moved away into the woods. They got back in the car, and the car was so hot on the inside Oof. that, according to Betty, when she put her hand on the dash, yeah. the her hand made an imprint in the hard vinyl. Ow. Well, but the, there is yeah. no photograph of this. Importantly, this was just a statement that she made and that they attested to. That's but that's how hot it was, and the car yeah. on the outside was too hot to the touch. It's Texas. Yeah, <laughs> if you've ever been there, it gets yeah. very hot. It However, does. not that hot. No, and also, okay, big deal. They said this happened. A handprint in the dashboard. Yeah, that's not trace evidence if you don't see it or you can't photograph it. But what is trace evidence is that Betty started feeling sick when she got home. She yes. took the other two home. They went home. She got home. Her skin was burned and red. Her neck got really swollen. Blisters are popping out everywhere on her face, her eyelids, and her scalp. And then she started throwing up. She threw Ugh. up all night and was so bad the next morning that she nearly went into a coma. It sounds like really, really bad heat stroke. That vomiting. Yeah. The redness, the the dryness. Yeah, it's, right. it's bad news. So then they came yeah. and picked her up. They took her to the other two because Colby, God bless him, this poor little seven-year-old, and then his grandmother were all going through the same thing. Yeah. So now they're all in this one place and they're trying to take care of them. And uh, their hair started falling out. And they these now these guys were interviewed separately including the seven-year-old, and they all told the exact same story, same description of the craft, same thing about the helicopters, everything. So they're all on the same page, even when independently interviewed. Now, the thing about these symptoms that they have is that they are consistent with radiation sickness. Right. To get a little bit further down the road on this, I, I, I just want to briefly talk about the CH-47, and I'm quoting again the NICAP report here, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Quote, one day in April 1981, a CH-47 flew into Dayton, Dayton, Texas, by the way. Mm -hmm. As Colby watched, he became very upset. Vicky decided to take him to the spot where the helicopter had landed in the hope that it would seem less frightening on the ground. When they reached the landing zone, they found a lot of people there already and had to wait some time before they were allowed to go inside the helicopter and talk to the pilot. Vicky and another visitor both claimed that the pilot said he had been in the area before for the purpose of checking on a UFO in trouble near Huffman. Oh, really? When Vicky told the pilot how glad she was to see him because she had been one of the people burned by the UFO, he refused to talk to them anymore and hustled them out of the aircraft. Wow. The UFO organization VISIT, that's in all caps, I'm presuming that's an acronym for something mm. which I don't know, later located the pilot and questioned him. He admitted to knowing about Vicky and Betty's encounter with the UFO, but maintained that he had not been in the area in December and had nothing to do with any UFO. Unless another pilot decides to come forward, it seems that the source of the helicopters will remain a mystery. By the way, they checked all the bases. Yeah. No Nobody base had any missions. Up. Yeah, right. they didn't have, there were no Chinooks close by. They yeah. weren't sure there were other bases that had them, but they were like, no, we were just playing cards. So. Isn't that strange? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's another trace evidence case, and it's a big one. I mean, these guys had symptoms witnessed by dozens of people, and several people corroborated the presence of the Chinooks in the area, too. Yeah. They weren't the only ones that saw the helicopters. No, Lots they're, of people they're saw big the helicopters. and they're noisy. Yes. Yeah. Again, yeah. And they do that like they're like yeah. it's a real choppy sound so the most amazing thing about this story yeah here's something that i bet even you didn't know Forrest. okay it was three days after rendlesham uh 1980 then yes okay three days after one of the most famous ufo yeah. incidents in history boy that is a multi-parter if i yeah uh, you know yeah uh, no we're but... gonna keep that one brief here but we should yes. we should at least 
touch on it. A, uh, a military air base in England. Yes, uh, Woodbridge and Bentwater air well, bases in, well, in Suffolk. Well, I'm a member of the Facebook group, uh, Justice for Bentwaters. Oh, nice. Check yeah. those guys out. Again, they just... Of course they, you are. Well, they, no, they, uh, early on, they just want to hear, they want their story to be told accurately. The Betty, Vicky, and Colby story here is a great one. Well, again, there's some sickness, uh, I, early deaths. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's right. A few of them have passed away, actually. Kind of Everybody un- but Colby, I guess. Yeah, yeah, kind of untimely. And again, it uh, could be, I can't remember, I think it was some kind of cancer. And they yeah. uh, they do believe it was connected to this Radiation incident. Sick, yeah. yeah. And there's some another... of Colby's hair fell out, too. Yeah. His, well... He recovered quicker, but, you know, it, anyone who has a seven-year-old will tell you that they rebound they, very they're quickly. They're springy, yeah. yeah. There's another one, again, this is just off the top of my head, a gentleman who'd walked up to a strange craft, and I believe he said he was doused with some exhaust that came out in, oh, in, yeah. a, in a circular grating, and he had the oh, marks on his chest. Oh, I've seen those pictures. Chest. He's got the yes. circles on his, yeah. Yeah, and he also suffered some, you know, dizziness, sickness, uh, these burns. Yeah. Uh, all I know I is, uh, you know what, as interested as you may be, you don't really want to walk up to one because you don't know what's going to come out. No, I'm not going to, I'm going to turn, I don't <laughs> need to know. I try to remember to have my camera at the ready. You never know. What, and again, this is not all aliens. It just could be some very strange experimental craft. Yes. Also, by the way, landscape mode people. <laughs> yes, please. yes, I will say that in, in video and, uh, you know, just go with still as well. Hold it horizontally. Yes, it's not a portrait And take interview. a deep breath and slowly exhale, and you can hold it very smoothly, or you yeah. can rest it on a fence post or the top of your car. There you go. Yeah, yeah stabilization. Uh, it'll just look better on the news when you go to report it. If you listen to our show, you're probably a lot like us and that you love to learn new things, even though you might not be in school anymore. Scott and I both have an insatiable thirst for knowledge, and that's why we love the Great Courses Plus video learning service, where with unlimited access to over 7,000 video lectures, you can learn about anything that interests you. We really want you guys to try the Great Courses Plus out, so they're giving you a special chance to watch hundreds of their courses for free. That includes the course we've been enjoying Turning Points of Modern History, taught by Professor Vejas Lulavichus. I've been moving through that series, and I'm on Lecture 19 now, where I found out that a Scottish lab assistant named Alexander Fleming accidentally discovered penicillin after cleaning up a messy lab before he was leaving for a vacation. <laughs> that's pretty one, one that's pretty insane, but that must have been pretty messy. He left out a, uh, some moldy stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah, it, it was a mess. I guess he realized that this mold that had appeared in one of the dirty Petri dishes was attacking and killing bacteria. <laughs> well, that's very observant of him. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like after I finished that one, I felt like I was ready to go on a Jeopardy and like kick some butt. It's so many other interests, better living, photography, yoga. It's just really a wealth of information and great subjects. We know you'll love the Great Courses Plus as much as we do. So sign up today. And as one of our podcast listeners, you'll immediately get one month free to start watching as many lectures as you want. And be sure to check out Turning Points of Modern History. To start your free trial today, Sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Check it out. All right, so let's get back to Delphus. Ah, the ring, yes. The ring, uh-huh. the theories on the ring. Here's the first thing. Before you go any further on this, and we're going we're gonna to really go down this path now with the ring. Yeah. Is this story a hoax? Like when you look at this fundamentally, and I'm going to tell you something about yeah. it. Yeah. When, when I was speaking of school and the Great Courses Plus and all that thing. Right. I was not good... <laughs> <laughs> algebra. Yeah. 
I was not good at calculus. I actually accidentally signed up for calculus-based physics in college. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, what do you mean accidentally? Wow, you were I really was off. trying to take, you know, the 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 easy physics, and I I don't know, I ticked the wrong box or something. No, no, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was right. it was rough. Well, and if you took that, you yeah, you weren't going to. Hey, do you well. know what? I passed. I got a, a oh, good a, for you. A D. Yeah. Jeez, um, <laughs> admitting that. Well, I might have gotten it to a C. Okay, but well, you know what? I was good at. Yeah, geometry. Yeah, I had an I had a knack for that too. I had a propensity and, for geometry. I didn't right. even have to pay attention in that class. It was like a piece of cake. I think well, it's also part of the reason I love Tempest so much because it's oh yeah, a that's, geometric that's game, right? Polygons. Well, you're also going to be very doing very well then when we cover crop circles at some. Oh, oh, yes, I will. It's a big, meaty one, but it all has to do with sacred geometry. Well, and this is the thing about geometry and the geometry classes that I took. I also loved logic and proofs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's that way of thinking that I learned about. And, you Methodical, know, of, scientific. Exactly. So when I look at where we're about to go with talking about the ring that was yeah. left behind in Delphus and, and the evidence around it, the first thing that I think about, I think about it logically and and like a proof. Before you go down the road of one of the things that we're about to propose, which is that it might have been a fungal growth. Yes, right. This is something that theoretically would take a long time to appear and would not have been a surprise. Yeah. And therefore, you are by definition saying that the story is a hoax. And not only is it a hoax, yeah. that the whole family is in on it, Right. the parents and the son. Now, it's not beyond a family to get into collusion on something like that for yeah. whatever reason. Maybe you start to do something like that, and it blows up bigger than you expected, and you can't turn back. And we mentioned this in part one. It's like there's a difference between the Balloon Boy family. You you look at their kids. They're going to be into whatever dad's into. I'm not sure the wife was really that into it. But this guy was a character who just, he loved the attention, I believe. Yeah. And I, I don't think it was, he even thought it was... Uh, that damaging, but he didn't really think it out that well. Right. I always look at it this way. If you have a best friend and they come to you with a story like this and they said, hey, you know what? I can't explain it, but there was something, a craft. I did not imagine it. It's not the planet Venus. It is not the moon. Something burned something into my backyard. So you can take that as you will. I'm going to take them at their word. Now, I'm not going to say that I believe what they think it is or what they believe it is, but I will believe that they did see something. Right. And that's the big part of this equation. If this was a hoax, if the ring had been there a long time and maybe they suddenly noticed it, and we're going to talk about ways that it might have been natural and yeah. also not been a hoax. Well, I thought about this after we started researching it. Yeah. Uh, something natural that gets accelerated. Exactly. By an external acting force. Very well put. Okay. Very well go. put. All right. So we're going to talk about fairy rings, which is what is most often brought up. Have you seen them uh, naturally as a, you know, at, at your house? or? As well, not at my house, but I have seen them. Yeah. I can't tell you where, but I have seen them out in the countryside. I, and... I saw them at my aunt's house as a kid. I just like, how? Because I thought she did it. She's like, yeah. no, no, that's it's kind of a natural thing. It's a fungus that's called a fairy ring. And yeah. I, I was fascinated by that. Yeah. And it's... how does it know to make a circle? It's super fascinating. And it's something that um, we're going to talk about a little more in depth here. And, it, you know, when I specifically, I, I think we've mentioned before this show on, I think it's on the Science Channel. Mm-hmm. Our discovery science called One on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Which is a fun show that starts out with the premise of, we found this on a satellite. I mean, that part's all made up. <laughs> what is it? And then they <laughs> interview all these people who are like, we yeah. have no idea. And it's, <laughs> by the way, it's everyone we've ever talked about on every episode. You know who's on that show all the time is yeah. Andrew Goff. Oh, yeah. That we talked about on the Oak Island Oak series, Island. who was the one who had the secret contact who told them they found a, 
a body the tar and a, like capsule. A, yeah, that uh, that had the, the body moved of around King with David. The tides. Yes. yes, the body of King David. That was my favorite part of that story. That was pretty out there, but it got us inspired uh, with Lake Baikal. Yes, uh, reinforced that inspiration. Yes, it had some great Tony Scott graphics in the uh, in the interstitials, as we say in the biz. Yeah, very yeah, right? much like uh, the opening <laughs> sequence on Enemy of the State. <laughs> exactly, which right. is amazing. Yes. So anyway, they were recently talking about these fairy rings in the Namib Desert. Wow. Which it was just like these grass rings. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. When you look at them, you can't believe that they're out there and yeah. that no one could figure out what they were. They've recently concluded that it's essentially kind of like a grass war because ah. what happens is water and nutrients are so scarce that there's some sort of natural thing that's happening with these weaker grasses in the middle that grow up and then they consume everything in the middle in a circular pattern and then they die. And then ah. these stronger grasses grow in a ring on the edge where there's still nutrients left. Yes, I've heard of this. And yeah. then the rings can actually compete with each other. It's like a really slowly unfolding, super boring war. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's natural supply and demand. Right. Who's got the nutrients? We need them. Who's yeah. going to win out? Because yeah. it's a limited supply. But this is what I love about nature. It finds a way. That's right. It, it, nature finds Oh, yeah. yeah Jurassic yeah. Park. Okay. Um, Oh, by the way, I saw Newman the other day at the place that we always get our lunches and dinners. <laughs> Wait. Newman, uh, I, I'm saying this because... Uh, Wayne Forrest, Knight? Yeah, Wayne, Wayne Knight. Knight yeah. Forrest just made a, a Jurassic Park reference with, you know, life, uh, yeah. life finds was, a way. He was in the first Newman one. Newman was the bad guy. Yeah. Wayne Knight... I shouldn't say Newman. Newman. No, uh, that's Was thing. the bad guy. Right. Who stole the... The embryos. The embryos. Right? And or the, no, he stole the DNA, I the, think. Yeah. Or, or, yes. Or something. But no, and the Barbasol can. Yeah. And, and he before loves, he got spat on by a dinosaur. Ah, that's right, blind. the collar. The point is that there are natural phenomenon that do make seemingly human types of markings, I guess you could say. Yeah. If you've ever seen a fairy ring, that's what I thought as a kid. It's like, wait a second, a fungus made a perfect circle in the ground? It was, it's, yeah. I didn't know how it could do that, but there are processes involved, which when explained, don't seem that crazy. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not that much of a leap. And no. Now, so, so a lot of people think that the Delphus ring is just a fungal fairy ring. And I want to reiterate here that just saying that implies that the whole story is a hoax. Well, well and or, I, or, or a acted upon misunderstanding. Right. Okay. At, at least at this point, although we are going to explain a way in which it might not have been a hoax, it might have truly been a misunderstanding, but we're going to talk right. about that. We did mention um, Dr. Farouk yeah, in I part love this guy. one. Yeah, yeah, who wrote and submitted the essay, The Compelling Scientific Evidence for UFOs, where he stated that he examined the fungal ring idea. Uh-huh. He covered how noted UFO researcher Jacques Vallée stated that the white substance contained the nocardia fungus in it, and that this fungus seemed to have been stimulated by an unknown radiation. Okay, now we're getting to what I was thinking, yeah. By the way, the radiation that he's talking about is not nuclear radiation. The Delphus ring was tested for nuclear radiation, and right. there was none present. Yes. Dr. Farouk also stated he saw a low presence of this nocardia compared to other substances in the soil, specifically a water-soluble organic substance. Yes, because there were some hydrophobic elements, properties of this ring, right? That's right. It repelled water, which we mentioned in part one. Yes. Oddly enough, uh, Snow stuck to it, but did not stick on the inside or near the outer side of the ring. Water would essentially beat up on it and try to run to the edges if it wasn't perfectly level. So it was also Dr. Farouk's conclusion that the nocardia proliferated as a result of the soil's enriched organic content, not the other way around. 
So what he was saying was kind of like what this is his way of saying what you said a few minutes yeah. ago, not even knowing this was coming up, but right. this is a natural process that was accelerated by the presence of something unnatural. Yes, right. Which I think is still viable. Hey, man, that ties into my theories or uh, what I've read about crop circles. Yeah. Nodes, things being accelerated, natural properties within the surrounding organic materials that are accelerated by an unusual force. Hmm. There you Very go. Well, or an unusual uh, forest. <laughs> well, that's all unusual, <laughs> yes. Dr. Farouk makes a very good point, though. The soil at the site remained undisturbed for a full month before Ted Phillips got there to take samples from it. That would be plenty of time for something or some organic process to take hold. He also pointed out that the soil type was not the kind usually noted for fairy ring formation, and additionally, it did not grow outwards over time which fungal rings generally do. Right. If you believe the story by the Johnsons, it glowed when they first saw it. Right. And remained pretty much intact as it was for months. Yeah. It looked 42 months later. It still resembled. <laughs> it still looked ex exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we decided to dig a little deeper on plausible terrestrial scientific explanations for the ring. The ringu. Enter... The Astonishing Research Corps. Or the <laughs> a collection of dangerous, crazy geniuses. Yes. yes. The ARC is an eclectic group of people, and among their number, there is a PhD candidate in chemical engineering named Chris Cogswell. Now, Chris is a pretty erudite dude and very passionate about science. Oh, yeah. He prides himself on skepticism about things, but he's also into the strange and unusual and is working on a podcast of his own. See, okay, right there, I like the guy because he comes from a scientific background but has an open mind. Exactly. And keeps an open mind. Now, I asked him to take a look at Dr. Farouk's work, and he came to some of the following conclusions. And the first thing he wanted me to tell everybody is that he is not a fungi expert. <laughs> not or fungi. No, or fungi expert. Yeah. Is it, it's, oh, God, you know what? It's, uh, uh, is, why do we always get into word pronunciation? Okay, you know All what, All we do folks, is talk about word pronunciation. It's Salina. It's Salina. I told Scott, I don't know if I told him. No. <laughs> well, Salina is going to come yeah. up tonight, and we're going to okay. call it Salina and not Selena. We, again, apologize. God rest her soul. To everybody. Yeah. That was my Selena No, it said joke. Selena. Sorry. Yeah. I okay. love Selena. It's a great movie, by the way. Yeah, there you go. One thing that Chris noted was that although Dr. Farouk's paper cites a great deal of information about the soil, there was a fair amount of what, in his opinion, are non-scientific statements. For example, stating that UFOs stopping cars is a well-known physical phenomenon. Well, it is. It's Yeah, only <laughs> if you've proven that abductions yeah. are real, which that has not uh, been categorically proven. So technically, in a scientific paper anyway, yeah. it's hearsay. It's not publishable. Well, God. You, I know, Forrest hates picky. this. No, I don't that, blame you. I don't blame you. I knew this was going to be a hard section look, for you. It's, it's, uh, no, I'm kidding. Look, really, it's... No, it, but it's, keep you it don't have mind. to kid. It's like, who are, who's talking? Do you trust them? And you know what? I don't discredit people's observations who are not from the Middle Ages. Grain thrown on clothing does not spontaneously create rats. I, I get that. That's magical thinking. But I, I believe, you know, we should give people more credit to describing things that they see and trusting them. It will depend. Look, it depends on the person. So it's a case by case. I don't flatly reject anything just because it's not within our scientific realm. It's science we don't understand yet. I, but that's not an original statement. But the, no, but, but I'm yeah, with you on you, it. Okay, I'm with you on there you that. Go. Okay. Um, Chris also said and pointed out that the, the essay shows no tests of linear compounds or simple compounds that are most likely to be found in soil around fungi. 
Confirmation bias, in my opinion, this is me saying this, not uh-huh. Chris, right. by Dr. Farouk could be a factor here. Because well, what, what yeah. Chris is saying is that he dismissed outright initially yeah. the idea that it was a naturally occurring fungi. And therefore, in his work, he did not necessarily Look test for that, for that. Test for that. He tested for other things. This is coming at it from a true scientific method Pure perspective. Science. Is that, yes. yes, document, follow the chain of evidence... You try to look at everything, but you don't discount or include things based on your own personal thoughts or followers. Well, right. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because that's the, that was one of Chris's last points about Farouk's paper is that Farouk did not publish his methods in any way that makes it possible to replicate them. Right. Again, so, that's part of the scientific method. Yeah. So yeah. that by itself invalidates the paper as scientific because peers right. can't reproduce the experiments on their own and get the same results. Yes. One other thing that Chris was a proponent of in the arc early on when we were going through all our research for this particular episode and um by the way also uh, credit to all of our other arc members who contributed a great deal to this particular Absolutely, episode. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Thank you all. You know who you are. Yes, yeah. I'm looking at uh Marie you're Miranda gonna, you're gonna, yes. Tess uh-huh. of course uh-huh. and Stephanie and uh now I'm now in you're that gonna trouble. Forget somebody I didn't mention, but we love you all. (laughs) Chris has long been pointing out since we first started looking at this story that there was a sheep pen very close to the landing site. Yes, I do remember his statement. And there was a hog pen too, which I don't even think Chris knew about. I found out about it tonight as I was working on our our outline for this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, believe it or not, as crazy and wandering as this is, <laughs> it does have an outline. <laughs> it's Yes, and it's fresh. It's moments ago created. Yes, um, yeah, or more like the last minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as, as we're getting ready. But the thing is about animal pins is there's animal waste and animal runoff. Yeah. Ammonia, nitrogen. Lots of nitrogen. Yeah. These things can all contribute to the growth of fungus. And yeah, it's fertilizer. Yeah, it's yeah, fertilizer. So right. th- that's just something to keep in mind. Because one of the things that Chris picked up that was very helpful about Dr. Farouk's essay was that the sheet pen was a lot closer to the landing site than we all thought. The high nitrogen content and the crystallinity in the soil is in the realm of runoff from sheep and hog waste. Okay. So it's his opinion that the paper is more of a history of the case than a scientific study. Uh Uh-huh. And that's significant because one of the main components of the paper or the book that it's published in is a whole long section about how he has a hard time getting it published in any of the accredited journals. journals. Yeah, Yeah, right. And he had long exchanges and letters with editors. It's actually very interesting to read because he makes the valid point, and it's a point that I made in part one, which Uh I took from him because he made it to me and I didn't really think about it, but just about that whole thing about the stigma around the idea of UFOs. Of course. And scientists aren't allowed to study them. And he's saying, wait, I have studied this, but our guys are saying that this study is not presented in the right way to get published in those publications anyway. Yeah, right. Even though it has some valid points, it needs to be It's more, more of a documentation with some informed opinions and notes, right? Exactly. We mentioned Blue Apron last week in part one of this series, and since then, I've had several of their meals, one of which I tweeted and Instagrammed about last night. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, which one did you make? I made the beef tacos. Mm. They were so good. My wife and my finicky seven-year-old <laughs> actually ate a bunch of them. Very nice. Well, so much you, so that got... I actually started to get irritated. <laughs> No, but if you get a consensus where everybody likes it, you know it must be good. I was like, sit down, eat your fish sticks. (laughs) Right. Blue Apron knows not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients taste better and are also better for you. The avocado I got yesterday with my tacos blew my mind. I mean, it was perfect 
as well as all the other ingredients they sent. Oh, yeah. Blue Apron also knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. It's so easy. You just follow the directions. I'll say this to bachelors, especially because I I am one. I know a few. (laughs) Do not skip any steps and you'll come out perfect. Yeah. It's if you want to impress a date, guys and gals, it's a surefire way. You just follow the easy step-by-step recipe cards with the ingredients already measured out for you. You don't have to do anything. It's all it's, it's on their little packets, which, by the way, are recyclable. Yes, everything's so, recyclable. Yeah, you're all not packaging. Wasting, you're not wasting yeah. anything. There's there's frozen blocks. They've thought of everything. You just do it. You can make your meal in about 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your two meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash astonishing. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. BlueApron.com slash astonishing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, so getting back to Chris's analysis of Dr. Farouk's paper, I had one very big problem with his work. Uh, Wait, Dr. Farouk's or Chris's? Chris's, our ARC member. (laughs) Okay. The problem I had was an inability to comprehend chemistry. (laughs) No, oh, no. On, I couldn't on follow part. what he was saying. I'm sorry, on your part. No, yeah, part. no, it's my yeah, okay. fault. That's what All I'm right. saying. There's a whole thread well, for, on yeah. on the ARC, you know, on the app that we use I for did, the ARC. Yes, I, and I read that. And it's that, got yeah. uh, diagrams of molecules, yeah. and, and and it's so fun because, like, some of the other ARC members, they can't follow it either. Well, They're just, on, like, Philbert, sitting there up. eating yeah. popcorn, you know. <laughs> but I, I yeah. asked Chris, I said to him, I said, look, I need you to, can you... To make this dumb a little, this down, make this think? a little story. Okay, and oh, so, he did. Yeah, yeah, yes, he wrote a little story. I shouldn't say little. That's I'm being you're condescending. Belitt- you're belittling his little story. Sure, he wrote a story about a possible scenario that might have explained something that could have caused the Johnson family to think mistake a mushroom, a mushroom shaped UFO in the backyard, leaving a ring. All right, let's listen. Okay. All right, I'm going to read it right now. So I asked him how the events of that night could have unfolded or the specific interaction that Ronnie had with the ring. Over time, a wood-consuming mushroom bloomed on the Johnson farm, without the Johnsons even recognizing it as an issue. The mushrooms had been consuming a dead tree, which had recently collapsed due to the attack of the fungi on the tree's rotting wood. The oyster mushrooms that grew on the tree had grown along the property, possibly helped along by the high nitrogen content in the soil surrounding the sheep pens, or maybe just subsisting off of the dead tree and wheat remains that abounded on the old wheat farm. Over time, the mushrooms that initially had attacked the tree itself had moved to the surrounding wheat fields and grasses, with a fairy ring forming in the grass near the sheep pens. This created a slight dark circle in the grass, which had gone unnoticed. After a period of time, the mushrooms in the ring began to secrete oxalic acid, which is used by the mushrooms to degrade the strong cellulose bonds that make up plant matter. Eventually, the tree was consumed to such a point that the surrounding mushrooms did not have enough food, causing them to die away. However, the elevated levels of oxalic acid and fulvic acid from the decaying tree and mushrooms themselves remained in the soils surrounding the mushroom ring. The acid made it impossible for grass to grow in this ring, and the fulvic acid and mushroom root system made it impossible for the soil to take on water. 
Eventually, all of the water in these soils was vaporized, leaving behind a thick white oxalate crystal layer, which shone in the sunlight when undisturbed. The process of decay and crystallization occurs rapidly over less than a week, although the formation of the mushroom ring and mushroom infestation of the surrounding tree and grasslands had been occurring for a number of months. However, because the mushrooms are relatively small and did not seem to disturb the grass in the area at first, it was not noticed. One day, when walking through the field, Ronnie Johnson sees the crystallized oxalic acid ring. It shines in the light of the hot day sun, and his eyes become burned by the acidic dust kicked up by the wind. With his eyes burning, he rubs them, further irritating them and causing him to see what he believes is a UFO. However, it is simply his eyes responding to the acidic attack, mixed with his extreme nervousness at finding himself partially blinded and in pain. He runs back to his home where he gets his parents, who, while they do not see the ship near the ground, claim to see something off in the distance. His mother reaches down to touch the highly acidic soil in the ring, which mixes with the sweat from her body and begins to form a chemical burn on her fingers, which eventually shuts down the nerves at the outer layer of skin, making them feel numb. She further rubs her hands onto her leg, which again transfers the acid and burns, then numbs her leg skin. Frightened by what their son is claiming to have seen and what they themselves have experienced, the Johnsons call the local sheriff and to this day claim that the things that happened to them were caused by whatever it was their son saw. Since they don't want to seem unsupportive and because they themselves can't explain the burning and problems their son has had since his brush with whatever caused the ring, the Johnsons reinforce his story and help him to seem truthful to the surrounding farmers and local townspeople. Perhaps they exaggerate slightly to make things seem more credible and perhaps their fear and confusion has caused them to misremember the events of that day. However, the physical symptoms are undeniable, leaving the public baffled as to the source of their pain. Here comes um, Forrest with the rebuttal. It's just no, like it's not. It's like no, it's not even. It's not written in there like the with a rebuttal. <laughs> no, just, but I yeah. I want. I I do want to hear your response. Chris is like, no, he's thought out everything. It's very thoughtful uh, and complete, backed up by science. I read it. To begin with the notes online that he'd left, I didn't really read too much of this before because I kind of want, wanted it to be fresh. Plus, I didn't have time. So we, <laughs> I'm hearing it kind of somewhat new, second or third time here. So he's saying it happened in daylight. Some of these incidents happened in the daylight and were unexplainable. So they kind of fabricated, nudged the story a little that it was a UFO at night to kind of fit the unexplained things. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing here? He's saying that the the acid, the the wind could blow and kick up this stuff and in cause the, the acid in, in yeah, the eyes. In the bright sunlight. Yeah. It doesn't address the sounds. The yeah. first things that come to mind, it's like with a lot of scientific explanations that we've come across and discussed on this show. Yeah. It might, and very well explain a lot of it, but not all of it. And Again, he's, he's reverse it, engineering the science sure, sure. into the I, scenario. I got that. No, in and, much yeah. the same way, people re might reverse the scenario into the, yeah. uh, you know, into the details of the encounter. Like, for me, lacking hard evidence, right. this is the opposite end of the spectrum. This right. is the measured skeptical response, which has about the same amount of speculation in it <laughs> yeah. as the story of absolutely, the craft. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's that part where to make it sound credible, 
the credible explanation sounds more incredible than the incredible beginning explanation. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Those people say like, okay. I enjoyed uh, listening to it. Yes. Uh, I'm surprised I got it out yeah. in that order. My point here is going back to Rendlesham. I believe one of the major skeptics, the debunkers, as we say, of the story, not to go too deep into it, but people saw military police, officers, saw a glowing orb hovering in the trees that was shaped like an eye. That's how they described it. I'm glad you're covering this because it occurs to me now, earlier we were going to go into a little more depth on what happened at Rendlesham when oh, we mentioned we didn't. it and we didn't. Okay. Well, so here's our say, little pickup. Yeah, well, there you go. Let's save so it. You can't say we left you high and dry. This is the one major thing. And I always remember this about debunkers because, and I can't remember this guy's name and uh, maybe he does deserve some mention. I'm not harshing on this dude, as they say, but he did have one explanation. It's like, oh, well, you know, that giant glowing red eye, well, that was just the lighthouse on the coast pointing back <laughs> yeah. in the trees. It's yeah, like, right. okay, you're a smart guy. He's, I can't remember if he's actually a scientist or just a professional debunker because they're out there, people who just write articles and blogs about these kind of things. And he visited Rendlesham, I do There's believe. There's people that get mad, too. I mean, we have we have a friend that will get angry Oh yeah, if you try to convince him that anything unexplained exists. Right. Gets I, mad about wait, it, which that? I think is fear. No, I'm not about okay. to say. <laughs> yeah, you can tell me off the I air. don't think he listens to the yeah, show. No. Like... Oh, uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? No, he just goes, uh-huh. <laughs> Eventually, he gets angry about it. Yeah, but to the point... <laughs> I get it. I get where he's coming from. I and I allow it. I don't I'll deny people. It. I'll allow it. That's how I much power force has. Yeah, well, I'll my, allow it in my own mind and my <laughs> judgment and my you know nasty judgment about you. But it's getting back to the explanation, the scientific quote unquote explanation of debunking something sounds more incredible and ridiculous than the thing that happened. First of all, it's a lighthouse. It points out to sea. It does not even point back at the trees, and it's not red. It's a white light. So. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah. well, maybe it's this. I was getting to this earlier, and it sounds ridiculous, but I made a point saying they did not see the full moon because people said, well, you saw the full moon in Venus. It's like, yeah. no, no, I know. I've seen the moon before. Yeah. I'm older. I've seen it before. <laughs> I know what it looks like. I yeah. know what it looks like at, at a blood red moon and a blue moon. I know all its phases, the harvest moon. This was humming and making a sound like a, a washing machine. So yes. this is the other part. You have some explanations for some of this, but not for all of it. The broken branch that the reporter Thaddeus Smith yes. said and examined as By well. By the way, that's it's, you can't really tell it when we're saying it, yeah. but th it's a woman. It's Thaddea, not Thaddeus. It, yes, just exactly. Just to be clear. Thaddeus Smith. Yeah. The law enforcement officer there, I think the uh, undersheriff, maybe, I, can't, I can't remember his name, listen yeah. to part one, but they all examined it. So it's not just a story made out of whole cloth by the Johnsons themselves. There were reporters, policemen. They said the tree was knocked over, that the branch itself seemed like dry, dead wood, even though the parts around it were moist. There were green leaves. There's some unexplainable things that th the scientific explanation doesn't cover all of Boy, that's bad grammar there, but you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't hit everything. It's kind of like, okay, good example, Dyatlov Pass. Yes. Infrasound. I believe that makes a case in some instances, but not everything in this case. You just can't say like, well, you know what? It's a vibration that causes people to see blobs. That does yeah. not explain every ghost sighting yeah. I've ever heard of. Right. Some, yes, I will say that. In this case, we have some scientific reasoning for maybe the fungus on the ground the fungi, the fungi in the ground. Funguses. And, uh, but does, it, what about the snow? 
What about the numbness? You know, oxalic acid, I pointed this out to you earlier, yeah. one of my favorite products, Barkeeper's Friend, made of oxalic acid. And I love the origin story. I believe it was a chemist, I think in the Midwest in the mid-19th century, cooking rhubarb in the kitchen and noticed that whenever he cooked rhubarb, his pots came out nice and shiny and clean because oxalic acid is a naturally occurring element is a naturally occurring Wait, are you telling me that oxal that oxalic acid is is basically ajax no it's bark it's a but no, barkeeper's friend looks like ajax yeah don't, the same don't d d d d snort either one and i and either said one anything about snorting <laughs> i'm sorry that was cheech and chong yeah that, that was a, a scene oh right remember right, that right, wow yes. i have a for i yeah. was surprised i remember that but old people are talking about movies old movies from the 70s you can see it at a drive-in so look that up kids <laughs> It's a natural compound. I get that. It occurs naturally. Also in some plants, I believe like sorrel, it's a naturally occurring compound that has specific properties. And it's acidic. It's much more acidic than citric acid. Uh, boy, I'm just winging it here. I hope yeah, it's all true. Yeah, you are really... I'm going off the thing of what yeah. I remembered from uh, weeks ago reading. Uh, wait, uh, can I just do a quick disclaimer? Yeah, go uh, ahead. The prior five minutes may not have been fact-checked. <laughs> it's a, Go ahead, though. Send, <laughs> send your angry complaints to Scott. He answers them all. By the way, yeah. we're at, I don't know, 630 contact emails oh, or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. I plan to answer as many as I can Very during good. the next two-week hiatus. Me too. I say that every time. No, but I'm I really going to do it. You're not going to do it. I know. I'll do a few. I do. Right. I, 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 I have been. You know who you are. Anyway, <laughs> but if you've ever cleaned with Barkeeper's Friend, yeah, over time, it'll, it'll dry out your skin. It has a f noticeable reaction to your skin, but not numbness. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. I love Chris's explanation. That's a great, it's a great... Uh, uh, Wait, I just want to read something real quick that validates what you're saying. Please. From Wikipedia. Okay. Unlike more abrasive cleaning powders such as Comet and Ajax... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Barkeeper's Friend uses oxalic acid as its primary active ingredient. A similar abrasive cleaning product, Zud, heavy-duty <laughs> cleanser, like, yeah. also yeah. contains oxalic acid. How did you know that... Barkeeper's friend had oxalic Do you acid. want to know why, Scott? Wow. Because I had... How did you uh, know that? I love old tiny products, especially ones that like, my God, this got to be something uh, if, if, worthwhile if it's been around 100 years or more. Uh, the other one I like is... Uh, what's the Wait, other one? Wait, you that... still didn't say how you knew it. I'm getting to that. Oh, <laughs> so this oh okay. Is, what's the other cleaner that, that has a little chick and it says, hasn't scratched yet? Because it's a little chicken chip. I'm not as old as the... you, so I don't Okay, well, it's another, uh, I'm blanking on this, but it's another cleaning product, and it's like, you know, is invented in France in the 1890s, and it's like, okay, well, you know what, it's still around today, must be doing something right. So I, years ago, picked up a canister of Barkeeper's Friend, and if you notice the logo, it's supposed to represent graphically swinging saloon doors. Well, Scott and I love the Old West, like, hey, if it worked for uh, the Old West, let's see how it does now. I used it, works pretty darn well. Bonami. Bon oh, that's it. Yes, the French that my yeah, friend. Yeah, I had to look right? it up. Never no, heard of it. No, good friend. Yes, bon good friend. Bon bon this is the other household cleaner. Hasn't scratched yet. What is that made out of? This is more traditional, like traditional. Um, uh, like Ajax, uh, limestone, baking soda, citric acid. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so it has an acid. That's yeah. what kind of cuts the grease. Yeah. I went to town one day years ago. Clean, clean this all the sinks, the the stove. This stuff is is working pretty darn well. That evening, it's like, geez, my hands are all itchy. Like, what the hell happened? And I noticed it. It, it take well, no, it's it, because astonishing it, it, legends it, has taken a turn. Yeah, astonishing a, cleaning products. Astonishing <laughs> cleaning products with a scientific cause. I was using it all day without gloves. Yes, I should have read the directions, which which I do believe say 
use gloves <laughs> if yes. you're going to do it all day. It wasn't horrible, but it was like, I felt, yeah, it takes the oil out of your skin. So my, my hands are now kind of dry and it's like, wow, I should have worn gloves. They weren't numb. I didn't touch my face. My face and my leg went numb. I was exposed to it all day in its, in its distilled industrial commercial use strength. I want you to know that yeah. after this show is in the can yeah. and shipped off to You're gonna our clean your sinks. new editor, who I'm so thrilled to have, mm-hmm. Sarah Voorhees, after this show is in the can, I can see myself, I'm cutting to, in my mind, there's a mental image of me tomorrow. <laughs> cleaning? No. No, not Pouring cleaning. some of my barkeeper's friends yeah. into my sink. Yeah. And debating for at least 10 or 15 minutes about sticking my hand in it with yeah. no glove yeah. to see if my fingers turn numb. I'm going to Maybe tell you, I'll no. tweet the response. <laughs> Go ahead. No, the, the point is, is that... Uh, of course, Chris is like sitting at home freaking out because like, he's like, no, that's not how it works. That's not I how know, any of this I works. Know. No, no. It, it, and he's, he'd be exactly right. We're not... <laughs> our Scientists. I, yeah, no, no. It's, it's a, a little I'm cursory you, research. We're experts on... Oxalic acid. I'm speaking from personal experience here. All these incidences of uh, UFO encounters where people encounter strange craft and strange things happen. Cars turn off. Again, that's a big thing. I always hear about that. Cars shutting off. When they leave, they turn back on. Well, How now you you're know? just saying what Dr. Farouk said. Dr. Farouk said, and Richard Dreyfus, yes. mind you, from the movie. Yes. His, his car went crazy. They do turn off. There's a lot of stories where that. Didn't Betty and Barney Hill's car turn off? Yeah, they all, yeah. They, they all do. Time stops. Things happen. Strange portals of dimension and existence and uh, the space-time continuum, all that kind of good stuff. If we get down to the very basic chemical items, though, yes, Chris's explanation here could happen if that's what they describe. So again, it goes back to personal credibility. If you believe this family is telling it like it is, like it happened, then it doesn't fit this. And Chris is kind of hammering this into a square peg into a round hole or vice versa. I can't remember which one it is, but he's taking solid. Well, he's doing the back. best he can. I asked him, yeah. to, I asked him to suppose a plausible. You did. Sign, you did. Yeah. And and so you're the one who's hammering his. Uh, yeah. His square, no, I asked uh, him to come <laughs> up into a round with hole. something that I could understand because, yeah. you know, his long string of molecule pictures was, <laughs> it's not, not, yeah. <laughs> it was not gelling in your head. Hey, you know what? You can go on to the great courses and, and learn about this and yeah. then come back and tell us what was actually going on. And Chris was well forest working in the working in the extra plugs plugs. more plugs in the last 10 minutes of leno that's kind of a a hairpiece joke anyway so no okay so to in summation here to kind of bring it around to me it's like okay yeah i'll buy that i'll buy points three four and five points six seven eight nine and ten that were part of the original story and the testimony that was given by this family what was reported in the paper what was reported by the authorities at the time He's going off that as well. He wasn't there. So you got to give him some slack. He wasn't examining the soil himself. He's only going by what was generally reported in the media and by these folks. So going by that, it's a pretty good summation, but I don't think it covers everything. Wrapping up here, we need to talk a little bit about what happened to Ronnie after the initial sighting. Yes. And I came across actually just today, talk about writing up until the last minute. Mm. An article that a journalist named Jim Suber wrote in the Salina Journal. <laughs> you sure it's not Salina? Yeah, Kansas? we have been reprimanded sure? about fifty times via email, Facebook, and Twitter for saying Salina. Everybody gets everybody else's local names wrong, and and we apologize. We will uh, try and do better, but sometimes it's going to happen. And you know what? I have to hear people say Oregon. 
and Spokane. So we all endure it yes. with our local places. Please, so yeah, Jim go, Suber yeah. wrote an article <laughs> in yeah. the Salina Journal. Salina Journal. Now, October. Who is, who, I'm sorry, who is Jim Suber? He's a journalist for the Salina Journal. Okay. I don't know a whole lot more, but I don't know right. a whole lot. It's not like I've met his family. But this is anyway. three, three years now after Ronnie's experience. Yeah, right? yeah. October 13th, 1974. And one of the things he does in the article, he cites that they did eventually win the $5,000 from the National Enquirer. <sighs> yes. Which we mentioned in part one, and I want to reiterate, the National Enquirer assembled a panel they called the Blue Ribbon Panel with, of Experts, which I believe uh, Professor Hynek was actually on. Yeah, yeah. And, um, which was like, imagine for the National Enquirer getting like one of the top <laughs> yeah. scientists in the field yeah. to weigh in on a National Enquirer contest. Yeah. But this was after yeah. their sighting. That's right. And, and Ted, Ted Phillips was on it too, who investigated the sighting. Right. But it, the point that we made was that the announcement of the contest was six months after the sighting. Exactly. But they did wind up winning the $5,000. Well, and good for them. It, it was good because it helped uh, validate the story. People were coming out to investigate it. And it helped them locally because they were, to a certain extent, they were the objects of ridicule. And uh, which yes. is, is, you know, that's yeah. always... Even if you're hoaxing something, I just there's no point in making fun of people. You know, I just no. And, it's, and this is the thing: they, they're still very well respected. That yeah. family name is very well respected uh, to this day, and they were at the time as well. But you know what? People giggle, and if you say anything that's kind of, it's because that's easier to to dismiss. You know what? I'll say this: it's easier to uh, kind of debunk and ridicule something than it is to stand behind it. It certainly is. Okay. It certainly is. And one of the things that I love about this article, though, is that it has a lot of the cooperating details about the story and ongoing visits from the craft. Yeah, so when did it return? According to this article, it returned at 7 p.m. on April 27th, 1974. Wow. Now, prior to this, Ronnie had told his parents it would be back. Well, how did he know? Well, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> okay. Durrell... Mr. Johnson, mm -hmm. and Irma, Mrs. Johnson, ran outside and said they saw either the same one or one just like the original one circling the landing spot where it had been before. It then apparently circled around the house and took off to the east. Ronnie goes on to say, at that point, he knows it will be back a third time, but oh. he can't say how he knows this. This goes to a statement that's gotten out there that he's become psychic, at least oh. with relation to that experience. Uh-huh. Now, apparently a few days after the first sighting, and I didn't know this until this afternoon, yeah. and even though, and by the way, credit to the ARC, they posted this article a long time ago, and I hadn't read it until today. Oh, yes, right, right, right. But apparently a few days after the first sighting, the wife of the Johnson's eldest son was killed in a car accident, oh, just a few days after yeah, the first sighting. Right. Then, a few days after the second sighting, Ronnie had a bad feeling, like something had told him that something bad was going to happen. To his sister, his other sister-in-law, different yeah. sister-in-law, he told her not to drive to Salina. Not Salina. Salina. Yeah. Don't drive there either. She went ahead on this oh, trip. Oh, yeah. She didn't listen. And she, she got in a car accident. Ugh. But thankfully, she wasn't hurt seriously. The article then adds that according to Irma, three years after touching the ring, although her hands had gotten fine with several weeks, and I think Darrell's fingers had gotten, had gotten fine just in about two weeks. Yes. Her leg... This is three years later, yeah. and I did not know this until today, yeah. was still numb. Wow. She actually had recently been to the doctor in Minneapolis, Kansas. Oh. No, it's Minneapolis. Okay. <laughs> Minneapolis, Min Minneapolis. <laughs> Minneapolis. No, that's how we say it here. Uh, okay. yeah. Minneapolis. Kansas. Yeah. 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 It, had, it had stuck some needles in her leg and even drew blood, and she didn't feel it. 
This is three years later. Okay. And I want to tell you something. Yes. I asked Chris about this today. Yeah. I said, would this be consistent with exposure to the acid or the fungal properties that you were talking about? Yeah. And he said no. Okay. He, he couldn't necessarily say that unless there was scar tissue present or nerve endings had been damaged or so bad. Or she'd been to Greyfriars and was <sighs> touched by the specter. That's a real callback Yeah, that's there. a well, that's a handprint that never goes away. Yes. tan. Okay, yeah. oxalic acid, barkeeper's friend. Yeah. Does not do that. I know. And tomorrow I'm going to stare at the sink and debate yeah. testing it myself. You know, I'll tell you what. Just clean your sink. Uh, no gloves. You'll okay. find that dries out your hands. Yeah. No, it reminds me of something I read previously about oxalic acid. That yeah, it's it's very dangerous if you if you have prolonged experience with it or you ingest it like anything else. But so that's I should not, not the, eat barkeeper's do not, friend. Yeah, don't don't pat it. Don't go put it on a bake a, a baked potato. Do not uh, drink it. Look, any of those cleansers are bad for you. I, but what's funny is that this is derived. It's a naturally derived product. Yes, we've said that before. Uh, and prolonged exposure will be hazardous. But again, not what she had described. Yeah. Okay. A few more details from this article that I think are super interesting. In the article, Ronnie also goes in the detail about how the transistor radio that he had wouldn't work in there, which I mentioned in part one. It's like, I wish somebody could witness this, but he said that. Here's the other thing. This is one of the facts that I don't think we've revealed yet about the lambs. Yes. Apparently, these lambs were born just after the first sighting. And he said that six months later, the lambs themselves had babies. Oof. They had not been bred. And all the babies of the lambs, the tiny lambs that were born from the lambs, died. Wow. So a lot of fun has been made of this. Yeah. Uh, and this implication that he's saying there was virgin births in all of the lambs after the UFO sighting. I'm going to leave this alone yeah. for now because I, I want to know what you have to say about <laughs> okay, that. Okay, sure. Me, let me get through the rest of Got this it. real quick. Also, next to the sheep pen, as we mentioned, were a dozen prized hogs. In the three years since the incident, only four of those hogs had litters, with three different boars having been in there with the sows. Out of a dozen, that's a low count for the mm -hmm. litters. Mm -hmm. So there was a problem there. So the lambs went crazy. The hogs mm. did not. Additionally, Darrell Johnson, Mr. Johnson, Ronnie's dad, was unable to wear a wristwatch after the incident. They wouldn't operate. He actually took them to Salina mm -hmm. to be looked at by the jeweler there who couldn't find anything wrong with them. Okay. So we mentioned that he had psychic powers. We also, I think we mentioned in part one, and the psychic powers were relating to his family and also the idea that the ship was going to return. Yes. He also was having nightmares. And this article was the only one that mentioned the detail of the nightmares, which was ah. that he would wake up screaming and he would think that the there were humanoid alien figures looking at him through the window. Oh, geez. Yeah, this is yeah. pretty scary stuff, actually. No wonder he didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, this was a big issue for him and his, and his parents as well who were concerned about their little boy. Of you course, know? And yeah. so th these were all ongoing things that happened in the aftermath. The other thing to note is that after the second visit, they had electrical problems in their house. Oh, However, the article goes on to point out, because their current all dropped, like it wouldn't run the appliances. And the, oh, so there was a drain on the power. Yeah, but the power oh. company came and they put a new transformer on the power line, yeah. but if there was also a new house up the street. Oh, drawing from that? Yeah, so, yeah, and no, that was little, indicated in yeah. the article. It's it's not necessarily UFO related. We try and be very middle of the road, look at all you know, possibilities. Well, I, I have an opinion that in terms of the second visit, yeah. it's my opinion that maybe after the ridicule and what he dealt with and oh. what the family dealt with locally, 
imagine this because this is, you know, it's not all black and white folks. Sometimes yeah. it's a gray area. The first sighting may have been very real. This right. may have, it may have all happened. Right. They come out about it. They get made fun of. Yeah. They're ridiculed by, this town's only got 400 people in it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows everybody else's business. Yeah. I mean, I went to high school in Raleigh. Now Raleigh's yeah. kind of a bigger town now. It's pretty big. Yeah. But when I went there, there were just like 1200 kids just at the high school. Yeah, you know, that's right. This is a 400-person town. I can't imagine what it was like for them after they said that they saw a UFO. I can see the family, if even if the first incident for them was very real, I can see them fabricating the second one to try to bolster what their son experienced the first time around. Look, it's the third possibility. Either it happened, it didn't happen, parts of it happened. That's kind of the the combination of the of the whole entire story. Some things might be embellished maybe or yeah. exaggerated or may- bits have maybe been made up or misremembered but basically what you're saying is that they're trying to reinforce that hey we did really see something weird happen and maybe here's some more proof and look it came back yes. and it did all these things yeah i get I, yeah i get and I we're get backing our son up well you, you don't know that's the thing it's just you know not documented so now you were waiting for uh, comments from me about the two earlier statements or three. Yeah. All I can say is like two anecdotal things that I cannot possibly back up. <laughs> I okay. haven't looked them up. I don't know the articles. No, none of the, uh, the Astonishing Research Corps has checked this out. So it's just off the top of my head. But I believe as far as uh, animal virgin births, there have been other instances. Now, here's one, the most recent, I believe. And I again, this could be just internet fodder, you know, clickbait crap that there was a shark in a tank in, in either kind of a research facility or possibly even a entertainment facility that everybody does not like now, or some don't. But, but there was a, a female shark isolated since birth by herself, gave birth to a baby shark. Hmm. They don't know how it happened. Folks, look that up. Prove me wrong. Look it up. See if that actually did happen. I don't know. I'm putting it out to you. You do, you know, the, you do the heavy they're lifting They're going to tweet at me, not you. you that's, know that. why I, that's why I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you? You take the brunt of it. Tell us about no, no, the shark. No, no. Again, this is fun stuff we like to talk about. I just heard that. I don't know if it's true, but it's interesting. Who knows? Sperm being blown into the tank. Who knows? But it was at a facility, and, and all they know is that there was no males introduced into her tank when she was of breeding time, when she was uh, with fam- a family way, as yeah. uh, John Prine says. The second one is that people with wristwatches uh, sometimes do have strange things happen to them depending on their physiology, what's happening with them. I, there was, I believe there was a Miss America contestant. She said she could not wear a wristwatch. I just thought, I remember this because it was so interesting my, and weird. My friend Christy couldn't wear a, a yeah. wristwatch. It has something to do with the blood flow uh, and the, the amount of iron in their body. Well, I'll and t- I have a cousin's husband. Yeah. He, uh, he, yeah, I believe that he also has kind of an iron issue with his blood. He gets very tired, has to, uh, you know, go undergo treatments. And I think sometimes he cannot wear a mechanical clock with hands analog wristwatch. It, it affects it. But I do remember the, yeah, the, the Miss America contestant. I thought like, well, that's pretty weird that it runs backwards. Why? You know yeah. what? I can see stopping. I could see uh, maybe not speeding up, but it's like it was just very strange. I thought like, well, you know what? She seems credible. So well, <laughs> you I you know I had to just briefly. I had a friend that I worked with for several years who could not wear wristwatches either. Interesting, yeah. And I when we during one time that we were working together, I actually gave her a ride home from yeah. work yeah. in my car, which was a 1990 Nissan, which uh-huh. I still have to this day. <laughs> yeah. Had the clock, the digital clock in it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. And the computer for the car, that can, the brain for it, was under the floorboard yeah. on the passenger side. And during the one day that I gave her a ride home, the car broke down. 
Oh my goodness. And in all so, the years yeah. I've had it, since 1990, I still have it. It has never had a significant electrical problem. It only had it that one day. That one day. I broke down. I can't even remember how. I think we had to call a tow truck or something. And she got out of the car, and I had it towed home, and I start. It started right back up, and never had another issue. Well, there you go, folks. Did she? Did she immediately kind of uh, not apologize? But yeah, I'm saying, she, like, was, she was. She like, was well, saying, "Well, I think that's yeah, me. No, I think that's, that's me." Yes. No. In conclusion, though, one shark thing maybe could happen. Two, definitely, we've seen that happen. Yeah. The weird watch phenomenon, not necessarily tied to UFOs. But again, you think like, that's crazy. It's like, no, 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 we've seen it. That part can happen. Now, we we can't say it's in Darrell's case, right? Yeah. It was tied to the UFO sighting. But people who tell these stories, lots of strange phenomenon happens. Yeah. Especially with electronics, electromagnetics. Well, there's one last little thing about Ronnie's story that we want to share, and then we're going to close this one out. Okay. And that is that not too long after the incident at the farm, Ronnie saw what looked like a feral female child with wild blonde, like matted hair in a torn or tattered red dress who was about three feet tall when she stood up, which she did kind of bent over. Ooh, skinwalker? Actually, they call her the wolf girl wow. in the area. Yeah. He attempted to chase her, and he said she ran away. In fact, his quote was, when it ran... It got down on all fours and ran away faster than anything human can run. Oh, boy. That's crazy. That is crazy. So Ronnie had no idea if it was connected to the UFO, and it's easy to laugh about, but similar reports came in after two other UFO sightings in Emporia, Kansas, which is about 100 miles southeast of Delphus, and also in Nebraska. The thing about the wolf girl is, according to some other sources we found, at least four people reported seeing her in an area northwest of Delphus at the same time. It's like with the original sighting, there were two other unconnected people in Delphus who saw a strange light or something coming down. Yeah. It's multiple people. It's not just the Johnsons. This is a very common thing. I'm not, look, I'm not backing it up. I can't, t- I can't say for one, uh, one way or the other, but uh, seeing strange creatures yeah. tied to UFO incidences, I've learned, has, is a very common thing. Indrid Cold? Oh, don't say Indrid Cold Mothman? No. Yeah. We can't say Mothman again. No, it's We're getting like 10 emails a week asking more. Can I just say something real quick? The Grinning Man and the Grass, the Ohio Grass Man. We are doing a Mothman episode, and it will come out near Halloween (laughs) It's a big one. This year. It's a big story. Okay, so you don't have to write anymore. I promise it's coming, (laughs) and Indrid Cold will be in it. The point I'm making, though, is that if you put any stock in these kinds of uh, stories that people say that really happen to them or things that they witness, it's very common to see strange creature encounters along with UFO sightings. Former journalist James Donahue has an article online that you can read where he talks about the one witness who has been named with regard to the wolf girl besides Ronnie. Mrs. Joe Stout, told authorities she had a face-to-face encounter with the creature in a shed in a vacant and overgrown lot. She said she found it sitting on a picnic table inside the shed. She wasn't sure if it was male or female, except that it was wearing a tattered red dress. It was definitely human, although it had a horseshoe-shaped scar that appeared from its right eye to the mouth. 
She said the girl made an odd gurgling sound, then jumped from the table and disappeared through a small hole in the wall. Oh, my God. Nell? <laughs> or, uh, Here's n- a pee, Papa. Or, yeah. or Newt from Alien. Oh, they, yes, right. Uh, okay. Stout and a neighbor searched the area. Both of them claimed to have encountered the wolf girl again, and both of them getting close enough to have been scratched. Stout was scratched on the shoulder, and her neighbor, Kevin March... A teenager at the time was scratched on the throat from behind. Oof. Sheriff Leonard Simpson organized a posse to search the area, but found no sign of the creature. Deputies responded to a report that people had the creature trapped in a shed. They said they arrived to find about 35 people surrounding the shed, but when they looked inside, they found nothing there. A lot of witnesses to the wolf girl changed their stories, but four of them stuck to their guns, and Mrs. Stout said... She even had dolls in this shed, and they were in st- stored in barrels, and there were some clothes and stuff, and that stuff had been disturbed. Mm. So I don't know. It's something so sad to me about this, like, feral, possibly female child, like, looking at dolls in a <sighs> shed and then running away on all fours. However, yeah. there's some important things to point out here, that the ARC looked into this. Yes. And even though the, that one article mentions that there's a Stout family in the area, we could not find a Mrs. Joe Stout. Okay. Well, d- and, it doesn't mean she doesn't exist. No, it doesn't mean exist. she doesn't exist. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I went to high school with a bunch of stouts well, in North go. Carolina. Yeah. But, and some butts. Um, and it's some butts. There was no Mrs. Joe Stout right. that we could find. Doesn't mean she doesn't exist. And also, I had them look into whether or not there were any missing children in the area. Yeah. Or this child either had to grow up or die. Yeah. And you can't grow up a feral child and then suddenly insert yourself into society. So we checked all that. And right. we also checked if any, like, unidentified children were found in the area. Any any follow-up to the story at all? Yeah. Nothing. Right. Nothing. Which, urban, so urban legend? It's either an urban legend or it was her UFO. Yeah. <laughs> or well, there you go. A, she's the yeah. result of an experiment. I don't know. Because oh, yes. Like, that, that was your, 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 call me fridge. That yeah. was Scott's earlier summation. There's, uh, yeah, they land, they, they've got a little tiny human that yeah. they've made in some horrid experiment. She gets out the trap door. They she can't escaped, find her. They let her out to pee or something. She runs off into the woods. They, they now they're looking for her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't find her, didn't come back. Have yeah. you seen Alien well, Hybrid? Girl? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know what, Scott? When people hear these kinds of stories, they want proof. But the burden of proof in this case is not on Ronnie, it's on science. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. As we mentioned at the top, we're off the air for three weeks until the 4th of July. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Casper Mattresses, The Great Courses Plus, and Blue Apron. You can now find easy links to all of their offers at astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. Good night.